Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Jingyi Xiao. Jingyi is a second-generation Chinese-American writer and director working in film and TV. Born in Shanghai, but raised in the suburbs of New Jersey, Jingyi leans into his multicultural background as a way to tell stories that inspire and bring different communities closer together. An award-winning commercial director who shot for international brands such as Adidas, Cartier, and Dove, Jing was recently named to Variety 10 directors to watch for 2023 for his feature debut, Chang Ken Dunk. His screenplay for the film was second on the 2020 Blacklist and was developed by Disney as a Disney Plus original. The film makes its worldwide premiere on the service on March 10th. Jingyi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're very excited to have you here and to talk about Chang Ken Dunk. But before we get into that, we want to learn about your upbringing and what it was like for you growing up. We know that you grew up in New Jersey. So I want to learn about how it was like for you growing up in New Jersey. Um, well, I mean, uh, if you want the whole backstory, I was actually born in Shanghai. And um, I came in 1989 uh, with my mom when I was around three years old. And uh, my dad was a graduate student at Stevens at the time. And when we arrived, he basically graduated. Uh, we moved into an apartment a year before, and a year after that, we got into our, our, our first house in like West Orange, New Jersey. And um, I, I would describe West Orange as, as sort of like a very kind of like classic New Jersey suburb. A lot of like commuters lived there. It was predominantly like Irish Jewish when I, and Italian when I was growing up. Um, a few Asian families, um, but uh, I think I had a very East Coast, you know, only Asian family in town experience, um, and it shaped me in a lot of ways. Wow, that's amazing. So you were born in Shanghai and then moved to New Jersey with your family. Um, what was that transition like? I'm I'm sure you were very young at that time, but do you remember what it was like for you growing up and, um, you know, being in New Jersey uh, for me, you know, I grew up in the West Coast and a lot yeah. of my friends who grew up in places like New Jersey, it's probably very different from growing up in, let's say, the Bay Area or California. Sure. Right. And so I want to know a little bit more about like, you know, what what it was like for you growing up in New Jersey and how you kind of uh, saw yourself, uh, you know, when you were placed in communities in New Jersey, you know, in yeah. schools um, and what that experience was like for you. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's hard to remember because I was so young when I came here, but I do remember my earliest memories was being surrounded by family. And I was kind of the youngest child in my generation. And like, you know, I have a lot of aunts and uncles. And suddenly I went from that to basically just me and my mom and dad. Um, and uh, I remember early on starting to just feel like I was different, like, I look different, obviously, but I also like talk different, I dress different. Um, and I and very quickly I sort of could sense that like I stood out. And um uh and I think in middle I think it was in elementary school that um I really started to have this consciousness now of like, 
oh, I'm Asian and I'm different than all my peers. You know, I got separated out into ESL class because my English wasn't good enough. Um, but uh, it was also little things like one of the first things I remember was like not having cable. So all the kids would talk about all the favorite shows that they were watching. And then all I would have were the shows that would come on like, you know, network television. You know what I mean? Um, and so it was a, it was quite, there, there was this like feeling of being surrounded by family and then all of a sudden feeling very isolated. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. And I'm sure it, you know, kind of forced you to look deeper into your culture heritage as well and to learn more about your identity. Um, while you were growing up, did you always know that you wanted to be more of like an entrepreneurial kind of person? Because, you know, I think for a lot of people, they either know exactly that they want to be an entrepreneur from a young age or yeah. they could, you know, just fall into it and it just kind of goes onto their lap. Um, what was it like for you? Did you know that you wanted to get into filmmaking? Um, you know, I, I, I like to think that I've had sort of a roundabout way of falling into filmmaking. I think as a kid, I definitely was very, very creative. I love stories. Um, I remember going to the library and, uh, and it was interesting. My, my mom and I were sort of learning English at the same time. And so she would take me to the library. And then while she was studying, I would sort of like just pick out books and start reading them. And I remember being really, really engrossed in stories, you know, and it really helped me because I was kind of an isolated kid. I didn't know how to make friends and stuff like that. Um, but it took me a long time before I kind of came back to that, kind of came back to my creative, you know, inner child expressing itself. Um, and uh, I spent a lot of, I think this is, this is actually common among a lot of people, but like I spent a lot of my high school and college years not quite knowing exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I was interested, I knew I was interested in something related to like human behavior. I studied psychology at NYU, um, but it wasn't until college that I really started to think like that my my interest and passion for film was something that I wanted to take more seriously. So, I mean, long story short, I, I think the sort of the whole drive toward becoming an entrepreneur, becoming a person who expresses themselves in the way I do, uh, it was a long journey. Yeah, that's very interesting. And so I know that you kicked off your career during an impromptu trip to China. Um, so that's just yeah. a very interesting journey that you had there, right? Because you grew up in China or you were born and raised in China. You grew up in New Jersey. And then you decided to go back to China. Mm. What made you come to that decision? Um, and what was that process like? Just kind of going back and forth. And, you know, did you feel like you were back at home or did you feel out of place? Um, what was going through your mind at that time? I mean, I look at, I, I look at you know, my life in like different eras. And I think going back to uh, China as a young adult is the start, was the start of a huge moment for me um just to rewind back a little bit i think that like uh like a lot of asian americans especially those of us who grow up um, as sort of one of the few asians in their town we kind of have like this common identity you know arc where we try to disappear and assimilate as much as possible and then in college we sort of rediscover that cultural heritage and then i think some of us um have the privilege of like going back to our home country and then finding a balance in that. And that's exactly what happened with me. I think that like, 
you know, in uh, when I went to NYU, I discovered sort of like Asian American studies and the history of Asian American thought a lot more about my sort of consciousness as a person of color. Um, and then, uh, and then when I got into film school, I tried to bring that, but I found myself sort of clashing with um, a lot of my classmates at the time, which were predominantly white male from like the Midwest. And I didn't really feel like my voice was, my voice fit in. And, uh, you know, the trip was just to visit my family, which basically is all still in China. Um, but when I was in Shanghai, I really sort of felt, uh, uh, the way I can describe it is like a, a weight off my shoulders. Um, and, you know, I've talked a lot about it since then. I've thought a lot about it. And I think it was kind of, in a way, I, um, I felt less, I felt less expectations of who I was supposed to be and I could kind of disappear and be treated for just who I was. And that gave me a lot of feedback on sort of what was me and what was sort of like what people were putting on me, if that makes sense. I just got to be Jane in China, you know what I mean? Um, and that was, that was a hugely, hugely important. And I think at the time, Shanghai, where I went, was also just a crazy time of like, uh, a lot of opportunity, a lot of holes to be filled. And um, I just love the energy of it. You know, I, I think like, especially when you're a young filmmaker, you 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 really need this can-do energy to create something as difficult as and big as a film. And um, when I was there, I really felt that, that I wasn't quite feeling it like, you know, USC, which is a great program, but very, very structured. And uh, so when I was there, I basically just talked myself onto some sets um and i worked in very very different positions i was like i was an ad i was a translator i was a cinematographer um but from there i kind of just built my resume and and within like a, sh a relatively short period of time a year or two i was directing like fairly sizable projects with like international brands yeah. wow. that's incredible I mean, yeah, I love, uh, thank you so much for sharing that. And just, it's incredible just learning about how you were able to gain your experience and absolutely agree with you on, for for example, for me, like I, my parents are from Hong Kong, right? Mm. And they immigrated here in the 1970s and I was born here. But, you know, going back to Hong Kong, it does make me feel a little bit more at home, right? Because I feel like for a lot of us as children of immigrants, we feel like we have to prove ourselves a lot of the times, mm -hmm. right? And going back to a place where we don't have to feel like we have to prove ourselves, it gives us the flexibility to be creative, to be our true self, right? Feeling like we don't have to go the extra mile just to make sure we, you know, can prove that we are able to do the work, that we're competent enough to do the yeah. work, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really interesting dy dynamic that you brought up. Yeah. Going back and forth to China and the U.S., what were some of the biggest differences that you saw, knowing that you worked in TV and film in both areas? Um, what would you say were the biggest differences working as a director and writer in China versus the U.S.? And, you know, I'm sure that the that there were challenges in both uh, places. Yeah. And yeah. we'd kind of love to know, like, what were the biggest differences? <laughs> um, I... I mean, uh, I'm so glad that I have experience shooting in Asia versus shooting in the United States. Uh, China is very chaotic. Um, you kind of reckon, you kind of, 
it's great to live in a different country because then you really understand what being American is and that there are other ways of doing things than the American way. And I think what I both loved and was mortified by in China was sort of like how a lot of things happened in the last minute. Uh, a lot of things, you know, weren't super particularly planned out and you kind of just speak what you want and then some people go off and maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Uh, everything happens in the last minute and then um, they get it done by having just more manpower. You know, so I, the, the craziest thing for me was I would go shoot these commercials that require big set builds. And you never get to see what the set looks like before you start shooting because they build it the night of. They get like a hundred people and they just start building. I'm like massive sets, you know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, you just have to trust, you have to trust and have faith that it's gonna happen. And that's something that I really appreciated uh, and learned from in China, because in, in the United States, everything's very, very particular. You plan out everything, there's drawings for everything. You have so many meetings about everything. Um, and that's a very, very, uh, you know, that is probably the way I'd prefer to work more. But um, there was something about the spirit of like, let's just do it, let's just get it together and, and let's have faith that it's gonna work that helped me a lot as a filmmaker. Because I'm a very sort of like type A, I need to know everything. I need to control everything. And that that really forced me to sort of relax and allow uh, allow the team and the situation to work in my favor. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is amazing. I love that you brought that up. And I can definitely see that happening. I mean, in the U.S., I feel like we're all about planning and preparation and everyone loves to have the same expectations right which is which yeah. can be a good thing because you know you don't want to go into a set not knowing what to expect but i feel like for a lot of asian cultures we do do things very impromptuly like we're, we're just always like doing things on the spot and yeah. we will you know improvise if we have to um and just you know i recently got back from from asia as well and just like seeing how a lot of the shops in Asia, they, every single morning, they will like put out um, decorations and like products outside of their shop. And that, like, for me, it's just like, wow, they put that out every single morning and it's like tons and tons of products. I'm like, how do they do that? Right. Yeah. It's because they have the manpower, like you mentioned. And yeah. if they can't do it, then they'll just bring in more manpower. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really interesting. Um, but yeah, really interesting to see like the differences between the two. Um, so want to kind of jump right into Chan Ken Dunk and your directorial work for that film. And congratulations on getting named two varieties, 10 directors to watch in 2023. That is such an amazing feat. Um, how did the idea of Chan Ken Dunk come about? Um, and we know that it kind of drew from your childhood experiences yeah. and are is a reflection of, you know, some of the experiences that you had as a as a child. So I want to learn about, you know, how did you come up with that idea with for Chan Ken Dunk and what the writing process was like for it? Um, well, I like to tell people that I'm a filmmaker because um, of basketball. And basically, um, you know, in high school, I I had uh, experiences coming to, I think, a lot of people. Like, I felt like a misfit. I felt like, you know, I was a little bit lost. I didn't know what my purpose was. And um, I fell in love with basketball. I became super obsessed with it. And um, 
it gave me a new sort of way of thinking about myself because I never thought saw myself as an athlete growing up and no one really encouraged me to go or gave me a chance to become an athlete. And it's something that I kind of just picked up on my own with friends. Um, but through my obsession with it, I got a lot better. And it basically kind of told me one that maybe I didn't know my own sort of potential as well as I did. Uh, and also, you know, every basketball player knows this. There's something really, there's a really powerful metaphor about life when you go play pickup basketball, because you might get picked last or people might think you're a bad player, but you always have a chance to prove your worth on the court. You know, you might have less of a chance than other people because, you know, people have to pass you the ball. But if you do something with the ball, when you get it, it can change your whole reputation. It can change how everyone looks at you. And um, I think I was struggling with that in high school. You know, I felt like people looked down on me. I don't know if it was race or whatnot, but um, I was struggling to sort of like get respect. And basketball taught me to be patient, to put time into working on my own, you know, my own flaws and try to improve and then put that elsewhere. And uh, when I when I got into um, NYU, I wasn't studying filmmaking, but I but the idea of becoming a filmmaker just kept coming back, coming back. And it was really scary because I had, you know, um, I had never even thought of that was a possibility. And I didn't really have anyone to look up to that did that. But it just reminded me of my days playing basketball in high school. And um, I was like, maybe I can take what I learned there and apply it to filmmaking. And um, it really, I really credit that, that sort of mentality for my whole career, really. And when it came time to, you know, write this film, um, it just really brought me back to those times. And um, I think that like, just, it wasn't just me. I think it's like our entire community a lot of us are immigrants or second generation that came of age in like the 80s, 90s. Um, and we're fine. We're trying to figure out how we can level up, how we can like jump this level and do something different, do something for the first time. Right. And um, it just reminded me of like me trying to play basketball. And then and then I was thinking about the movies that I love growing up. And there's like those classic sports comedy coming of age stories like Mighty Ducks, Little Giants, right? Karate Kid. And, uh, and I was also like, you know, when I watched those films, I wish that there was one where I, someone like me was the protagonist. And um, I was like, well, if no one else is going to do it, then I got to do it. And so I wrote this film and, and, you know, I like to say that it's about this kid who really wants to dunk a basketball, but really it's about me trying to make a film. Wow. That's very powerful. I love the crossover between your childhood passions and you know what you're trying to do today you know which is to bring more representation for your people like you when you were a child right yeah. to see people who looked like you and sounded like you on screen um is very very powerful and i feel like that makes all the difference right as as a youngster myself like i i didn't see a lot of people who looked like me right before mm -hmm. i noticed that i would you know, see people on screen and I, we're just naturally as children, we're like, oh, I want to have the same hairstyle as that person. Or I want to like have the same style as yeah. that person. We're very easily influenced as children to look up to sure. people who are on screen. Right. But it's harder when you don't see people who look like us and sound like us. And at our, when we were younger, we, there was like barely any protagonists on, on, in TV films and movies who were Asian. Um, so I love yeah. that you're bringing more representation for you know Asians in the younger generation 
Um, When you were writing this film, was your final draft of the story how you imagined it to be when you first started writing it? Mm -hmm. And if so, you know, if not, how did it change over time? Uh, It changed a lot. Um, When I started writing it, I didn't imagine it as a Disney film. Um, I actually imagined it as sort of like a Netflix um, uh, to all the boys I loved, kind of like why a little raunchy, but still like very wholesome, you know, and and that's the that's the first draft that I wrote that went out that eventually got on the blacklist. So if you read that version, it's it's quite different from the final Disney version. Um, but even before that, um, I I actually imagined it as like a father and son story, not a mother and son. And it wasn't until I really dove back into my high school years that I that I I recognized that sort of like the emotional struggles were really tied to my relationship with my mother at the time with well still my mom but like at the time um our conflict kind of really shaped the way that I saw myself and what was possible for myself and um I really wanted to explore that because I think it's very it's very like common to um all influent families actually wow yeah I I I love that you changed it to kind of fit into what your childhood was like right um and that speaks a lot to you know the story, the messaging that you want to convey in the message in in the movie. Um, you mentioned that you know due to the lack of Asian American representation in films, um, I think that it's very powerful for us to see people look like us and sound like us in films. What is the messaging that you want to convey to others who are watching this film who might not be able to see people who look like them and sound like them, but are seeing Chan Ken Duck for the first time. Um, what is that message that you want to share with them? You mean like people who feel underrepresented? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think like my film, uh, obviously the representation is really important. That's why I put Asian characters in, you know, three of the leading positions. Um, but I think like my film, I really try to straight up address what it's like to be stereotyped, to sort of face those societal but also personal blocks that we have because i think when when we don't see ourselves the protagonist you know uh it's hard to be your own hero you know which is which is what i think representation representation is really about because when you're a supporting character it's not it's not helpful enough you have to you have to see things where you are the hero you have agency over your life and that's what sort of gives you agency or the feeling of agency in your own life, that what you do matters, right? And you can affect change in your life. And so this movie is very much about um, if you have a goal and you have a dream and um, it seems like it's not expected of you or it seems like it's out of reach, how do you get yourself there? How do you push past all the things that are in your way, the obstacles, whether it's your parents or maybe your peers at school. Uh, and most importantly, I think ultimately the message is like, um, the the hardest opponent you have to face is, is yourself and your own self-beliefs that maybe limit you. And to be able to, to, to see that and accept that, embrace that, and then move on past that, I think is, is something that all, I mean, a great word for it is entrepreneurs, all, all people who are trying to do something bigger need to face eventually. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I the movie is about transformation and growth, right? And I feel like 
not only will it apply to basketball, like in the film, but it can apply to anything else that you're going through in life, right? Um, and I, I, yeah, I think that's such a powerful message. So when you're creating these films, when you're writing, what does your creative process look like as a director? And do you ever come, do you, do you ever have creative blocks? Um, and if so, how do you overcome them? Um, so, so writing and, and directing are, are, are quite different. Um, I'll just speak on the writing aspect first because it's both, uh, it's both easier and harder. Like it's easier in the fact that you're, you can do it without that many resources. Directing requires a lot of resources, a lot of people to come and support you, a lot of money. Writing, you're alone in your room and you can generate incredible pieces of art. But that's also the problem in that you can, it can be anything and whittling down into what works is is extremely, extremely hard. And, um, you know, I like to try and approach my work with, uh, through emotional honesty. I like to, um, I saw a quote from like Stephen King literally today that was like, all the things that you aren't saying, that people aren't saying, you know, write about that. Because those are the things that we're afraid of and that we need to confront. And um, that's very important to me, like finding a story that, really makes me feel vulnerable that's when I know that's something real because it's easy to it's easy to like write about things that I talk about all the time you know what I mean but it's the things that you hide that I think really reveal what matters to you um and so you know I, I have a very specific creative process where like I outline I write down my favorite ideas and then I try to organize them and, and I'm a very structured writer. I like to, I like to have a clear structure, you know? And so um, I, I collect scenes and characters and I, and I sort of start fitting them into this big puzzle. Um, but I always double check, you know, each moment, each character to make sure that they have that sort of emotional honesty and um, that, that I'm seeking. Um, I also think I'm like, I really value um, theme a lot and so like when people ask me like oh what genre do you work in for me it's all the theme dependent like what is ultimately the story about you know and so like this film is about um it's about double downing double downing on your like on yourself betting on yourself in order to push past your self-limitations um and so the whole film is about that it's about you know evolution and, and leveling up and growing um uh and uh once i have that once I have the, the sort of foundation, which is the which is the writing, um, I just make sure that the directing serves that story, because I think it's very easy to come in as a director and and um, think about other movies and think about sort of like what kind of style, think about sort of like be result oriented, if that makes sense. Like think about like what is going to be most impressive. But for me, I think great directing is uh, is is when you serve the story and allow it to be what it wants to be and that can be hard sometimes because you know um sometimes the thing that you're supposed to do is the simplest thing but you want to do the biggest thing because that's what gets talked about and that's what gets a lot of attention um but then that's how you get movies that um are incredibly visually expressive and have a lot of movie stars but ultimately don't leave you feeling anything um and so you know i i think in both mediums, I or in both approaches, I approach with what is like what is honest. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love that you mentioned, you know, you don't, you, you focus on things that people don't normally talk about, right? People, things that you don't normally talk about. And, you know, you could focus on things that you talk about every single day, but it's uh, the topics that we don't normally touch on that other people may want to talk about, but they're not, they're not courageous enough to talk about as well, right? And so when you bring up those discussions, it tugs on their heartstrings, right? It it yeah. kind of speaks to them because it's something that they don't really know how to bring up or they don't really know how to have a conversation about. It, it really makes them it really makes them feel seen. I think it makes like, them feel seen, right? I it's that relatability. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think like representation, like, you know, um, and there's a lot of conversations right now with the Asian American community about representation and break stereotypes and stuff like that. But when you see a false character or you see a character that's sort of a a sort of a calculation in order to break stereotypes that doesn't feel real it doesn't really do anything you know what i mean but when you when you hear a character say something that you've thought but have never said out loud that's very very powerful that makes you feel like damn i'm not alone i'm not alone in this feeling especially if it's like a scary feeling or a negative feeling or a feeling of sadness you know like that that is a very very powerful thing that the most powerful movies that I've watched have affected me in that way. I'm like, damn, like someone else feels this way. It's crazy. You know what I mean? I think just as human nature as well, we tend to think that we're the only person in the world who's going through this specific journey, right? Because obviously we, it's impossible for us to, to put ourselves in another person's shoe and go through the same emotions. And so we think like, I must be the only person feeling this way because I'm the only person who feels like this, right? Yeah. When you notice and you realize that other people feel the same way and there's you know, so many people in this world who are probably going through the same journey as you, just like knowing that someone else is going through the similar experiences makes you feel more at peace, right? It makes you feel more at home. And to see if they were able to like see that on screen, to see that in film and you know, kind of go through the motions of like, what did this person do? And how does this speak to my own story? Yeah, it's It, it makes all the difference to make them feel more at ease. I mean, it, it really helps because, uh, you know, we all deal with it in different ways, but to know that there are people dealing with similar things, I mean, that's, that's everything. Because ultimately we're social creatures, especially if we feel marginalized. Right, absolutely. So what are some of your upcoming projects that you can share with the community, Jingyi? Um, well, you know, I have, uh, what's the, what's that expression? I have a lot of spoons in the pot or something. <laughs> I'm bad with like idioms. Um, uh, I'm starting a lot of pots. I think that's what it is. No, it's, it's something else. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But, um, I have, uh, you know, I, I've been very lucky. I, 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 I've, I've been pitching even while making this film, you know, I have a, I have a remake of, um, three ninjas that I'm working on, which is like a classic nineties film um uh i have another basketball sort of uh high school YA show called madness set up at netflix and that's kind of like a that's kind of like a really like a friday night lights meets entourage in high school basketball world um i have a actually you would like this one i have a murder um mystery thriller that's set at a high school in the bay area it's called tino oh wow yeah and it's kind of like a tech it's it's very much about like like technology and and how like online life has really affected teenagers and about like sort of how we express our shadow selves online you know oh you said it was a thriller 
it's a thriller yeah it's oh, basically okay. like, I was like I love yeah. thrillers so I was wondering I was like how did you know I love thrillers but you said Bay Area at the <laughs> end so I was like oh that's what you meant but I do it, love thrillers it, I mean it takes place at one at, at one of those like super competitive um this is my way of like breaking stereotypes it's like put more Asian nerds on screen you know what I'm saying but but really show them for what they really do yes. behind the scenes you know what I'm saying yes um and so it's it's about it's about a high school of like super smart kids who basically can get away with anything and then they get embroiled in kind of this sinister online world and that that, that one's set up at Amazon so um but you know uh in Hollywood you you have a lot of things things certain things get momentum and uh it, it it's all a it's all a do your best and then see what happens. But I'm very lucky to have found great partners and, you know, have all these things going. That's amazing. We can't wait to hear all of the updates for your upcoming projects. And I just wanted to note that I love the fact that you are building representation for, you know, all types of Asians, right? Like, yes, it is important for us. I think that for a lot of films who feature Asians as the protagonist, they have like very good looking Asians, right? And I'm glad to see, you know, very good looking Asians on screen because we do have a lot of people in the Asian community who are very good looking, but there are, we come in all different, you know, personalities and styles. And we also have, you know, the dorky nerdy ones, which I feel like there is such like a interesting debate on that. Like, you know, there is the stereotype like that all Asians are nerdy, which is not the case, but there are good looking Asians. There are, you know, nerdy, would, Asian look, nerdy looking Asians. I so have I, a lot to say. I have a, I would love to speak on that because I have a lot to yeah. say about that. I, oh I yeah, never, go ahead. I, I never want to make a film that, mm -hmm. that preaches that there is a right or wrong way to be Asian. Right. And I think that in reacting to the stereotypes that are putting, that are put on us, sometimes we put ourselves in an even smaller box. And what ends up happening is divisions in our own community. We're like, oh, you're making us, you know, you're making the rest of us cool Asians look bad by by being you. And I don't, I don't really, I don't really think that's the right way to go. I think it it, it ends up hurting us and and sort of limiting us in a lot of ways. Like there's some Asian kid out there who's a dork and isn't that cool in high school, but loves, I don't know, studying and being great at math and science. And I love that kid. You know, I want that kid to do great things. Like, I don't want him to say to himself, oh, uh, everyone thinks that I'm a nerd and I am a nerd. So I'm going to show them that I'm not a nerd by being bad at school all of a sudden. That that doesn't, that I don't think that really helps. And, um, and I think what's been missing in media representation is just the simple idea of like, being the protagonist, being the hero of your own story. And once you're the hero and once you're going towards your own goal, you can be whatever you want. You can be the, the lamest kid. You can be the coolest kid. You know what I'm saying? But it's that agency that we're, is what we really want rather than sort of like really simplistic ideas of, you know, breaking a stereotype or being one type Asian versus another. Um, and once again, it's like, as a writer, I can write whatever character I want. Or I can write you know, the opposite of what people think Asians are. Um, but if that character has no truth, when we watch it, it's not going to hit either. If anything, it's it's almost going to be sort of, uh, it's going to be painful to watch because it's like, well, we're not that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. I absolutely understand what you're saying. And, um, you know, I, I love that Chen Ken Duncan is like a, a perfect representation of that, right? And 
yeah. you know, Chang is just representing himself and just like trying to overcome his own challenges and being the protagonist. And yeah. um, it's not boxed into, oh, Asians have to look a certain way in order to be the protagonist, in order to be the main character in the movie. Right. And yeah. I love that you're bringing representation and, yeah. and building on that representation for so many, you know, it's so Asians in so many different styles and backgrounds and personalities and which is what I love. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting to hear people's response to the trailer versus the film. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you bring your own perspective to a film. And a lot of times, if you see a character that looks like you, but is not the way that you want to be represented, it, it, it's, it's, it's also a reflection on yourself, on how you see yourself. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, I've heard Chang be described as like a loser and like uh, a nerd. But I don't really, I mean, if you watch the film, there's really no evidence that he's not the coolest kid, but there's no evidence that he's like good at school. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no scenes in a classroom where he's studying or whatnot. So I think it's really interesting of like, we both don't want to be stereotyped, but then we quickly stereotype ourselves. And so at the end of the day, it's up to us to sort of face our own self-limiting beliefs, which is what the film is about. You know, um, if people, if other people don't think that we can dunk, that's one thing. But at the end of the day, do you think yourself, if you train really hard, could you actually dunk? And, you know, uh, that is a real question, you know, uh, and a lot of people before they even start, they, they stop themselves. And uh, that's ultimately like the message that I want to give out into the world, which is like, just start and see how far you can get. You know, don't talk yourself out of your own dreams. Love that. Yeah. Just because someone else doesn't believe in you, which will happen, you know, most of the time when you're trying to pursue your own dreams, as long as you believe in yourself is all that matters, right? Yeah. But believing in yourself is not as simple as saying, I believe in myself. You know, Absolutely. you really have to discover if you actually believe in yourself. And what's really painful is, is when you realize that you don't believe in yourself and what do you, how do you, uh, how do you change that mentality? How do you come to be a person that you really respect and admire? Right. right. And I think it's definitely possible to change that narrative, right? Like, I feel like a lot of people kind of put themselves in a box and say, like, because I don't believe in myself, this is this is my fate. But it's possible to change and it's possible to grow out of that. So yeah. absolutely is. Absolutely. And like, uh, you know, that's why I love I love change so much as a character, because he uh, he doubles he doubles down. You know what I'm saying? He makes a big bet on himself. And like, when I think back on myself in high school, I was too cool to really do that. I was too cool to like try as hard as I could. And um, having matured a little bit, I would realize I was afraid because if you don't try, you can't fail. You know what I mean? And um, Chang is a great character because he's 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 too naive to, to, to see that. So he does try, <laughs> you know what I mean? He sets himself up for failure. Yeah. But in that he goes on an adventure and he really sees what he's made of. Absolutely. So we have one last question for you, Jingyi, and that is, if you could give an advice to, let's say, your younger self, mm. what would that one advice be? Uh, I would say uh, double down on your shit. Double down. You know what I mean? Like, don't, um, don't hedge your bets. Don't compromise when no one has asked you to don't talk yourself out of what you really want 
you know, um, say it out loud what you really want. And that, that in of itself can be very scary, especially in our community, just to say what you actually want, because then you realize how much work you have to do. But once you do that, then you set your then you set some standards for yourself. And when you start hitting those standards, then comes, you know, self-respect. And um, when you have the self-respect, the goal almost doesn't even matter. Like reaching the goal doesn't even matter anymore because you have, you know yourself, you know, and um, that's been, you know, my film journey. And, uh, and that's what this film is about. Love it. And to our listeners out there, can you share where our listeners can find out more about you online and where they can watch Shank and Dunk? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's out now. It's on Disney Plus. Um, stream it. Uh, we, you know, Chang is an underdog story and this is an underdog film. So any views that we can get, any support that we can get, I would really great, greatly appreciate it. And, you know, if you like the film and it means something to you, if you see something of yourself in it, please like tweet about it, post about it. Um, and uh, as regards to me, I don't really have much of a social media presence. I guess you could follow me on Instagram um, uh, or, you know, um, keep, uh, keep the lookout though. I'm going to be back with more projects. Awesome. So Disney Plus, we will leave that in the show notes of this episode. Jingyi, it was amazing having you on our podcast today. Thank, Thank you, you so awesome much for sharing your yeah. story. Appreciate you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>